0: Mishka Sherbali is catching up
1: with friends who are arguably more talented than him. Hey, hi, hello gang, what's up, how are you? Oh boy, um, all kinds of stuff, all kinds of moving parts uh, right now, The if you are... Um, if you are hearing this message, I am now dead. No. Uh, if you are hearing this message, it is next week, and I have successfully completed a couple of uh, killer shows with my friend David Dondero uh, in Phoenix and Tucson, and we are probably hurtling down to uh, the quarry in Bisbee on uh Her show there on September 16th, which is, uh, I think it's a Friday night. Friday night, uh, booming in a busted copper mining town. Uh, I haven't played Bisbee in a long time, so I don't know. Come out and see if I'm still uh, hilarious and good looking. Um, It should be fun. I love the quarry. Dana's the best. Um, I don't know. Tell your friends. Tell your strong acquaintances. Um, David Dondero is incredibly talented. Uh, hopefully I'll get him on the podcast. Uh, I'll record a podcast with him next week. We will put up after the shows. Um, so so, so, Friday, September 16th in Bisbee with David Dondero. Then, uh, September 24th at my dumb house. Uh, Andy Oancio is going to be performing, um, Andy is the theme of today's podcast and also the guest. um andy will be uh she'll be out here from Seattle, Portland. Fuck, I keep uh mixing those up and i I feel like it's a regional slur to get it wrong. the Andy, I'm so sorry. Um, but Andy will be here with uh, Critical Miss, uh, a songwriter I love from Phoenix. Uh, my friend Adam Baith, Jacob Erdman uh, just got added to the bill from Colorado. My friend Rad Pinkard, uh, current favorite songwriter. Colin Galitko, my current favorite podcast producer. Um, I think that's everybody. I hope that's everybody. I hope I didn't leave anybody out. The um, what else? What else? I'm available. I'm uh I'm making a new record. I'm back playing shows. Uh if you're in Phoenix, Tucson, Bisbee, Flagstaff area and you want me to come and play your uh your wake, your divorce, your bat mitzvah, uh your backyard party, your kegger, uh or I would even play in a venue. I'm uh I'm I'm trying to get back out there again and I don't know, find my feet performing live and finish this record hopefully this year and then get back out there. Get back out on the road burning up some tires and losing some money. It should be should be fun. Um, my guest today, uh, Andy Awansio, I met her at Altercation last year, two years ago. Uh, she will be performing there with me and a bunch of other... Uh, dumb Jerks, the week of October 22nd in awesome Texas. Uh, so make sure you get your tickets in advance. I'm not sure if they're sold out yet or not, the, but uh, uh, Google Altercation Comedy and you'll find it. Uh, it's going to be a really killer show this year. It always is. It's just the, it's like a comedy summer camp workshop. My friend Sari Beliak is going to be there. Um, we're gonna be out in the parking lot together uh talking shit and and trading inside stories um anyway that's enough of that. Let me get to the heart of the matter uh My guest on the podcast today is andy owancio i I knew nothing about her going into this except that I saw her once at altercation and she was fucking hilarious and then when i put out a call to book some comics to perform at my house uh she reached out and so booked her to headline here on september 24th and then man we ended up having like just the coolest conversation um i i did not realize that um she uh, she's been throwing raves for uh 15 years now um and Uh, There's like a little bit of overlap in our sort of musical careers and musical interests. So we just talked about um, comedy and intersectional politics and uh, all the and being a music fan, being a music head and getting older. And I don't know. It was a fucking blast talking to her. I I felt at the end of it, I was like, I got to wrap this up. But we still have so much more to say. Um, But she will be here on September 24th, we'll be continuing the conversation. Uh, she's the best. Please enjoy this conversation. Thank you. Uh, which um, which episodes did you listen to?
0: Um, I listened to the Shauna episode. Uh, she's so... My-
1: yeah, Shauna's, yeah, yeah, Shauna is so fucking great, man.
0: Yeah, I'm. We're we're lucky to have her for her little stint that she's up here, and she's being booked on everything, which is awesome. She's so so funny. Um, yeah. And I listened to the Josh one and uh, one other. I'm uh, Dean Del Rey. That was the other one.
1: Okay. Awesome. The I, I actually I have a tattoo of Josh on my arm. I don't have a Shauna Christmas tattoo yet, but. the... <laughs> I, I keep threatening to get a tramp stamp. Maybe that's the, uh, maybe that's the one to get the I, she she's so great, man. Have you worked with her?
0: Uh, I've been on, I've been, I've guested on shows with her, but I haven't, like I was always off running, doing a spot and then running off somewhere else. So it's not like I had like a huge seen a huge set of hers, but her crowd work is so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Josh, I like went to Memphis this, this past year and, um, got to eat some of Josh's sandwiches. (laughs) Uh, (laughs)
1: That's, that's Josh's gateway drug. That's how he gets you to be friends with him because the, he'll make you a sandwich and then you're like, no, no terrible person can make a sandwich this, this good.
0: No. And I think it had head cheese too. It was really fucking good. (laughs) Like I don't like head cheese. I I I had to I've had to Google that in the past. <laughs> but it was really good. It was really I think
1: good. I ate I think the last time I ate head cheese was like thirty years ago. Maybe in another thirty years I'll be I'll be ready to give it another shot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it does seem like one of those things like scrapple that you try to eat once and then like somebody offers it to you when you're really hungover.
1: <laughs> it's definitely one of those like dare foods, you know, like the, oh yeah, I, I lost a bet and then I ate Scrapple. Yeah,
0: night. it's the taste equivalent of somebody being like, this smells terrible.
1: <laughs> Smell I know, yeah, it. That, I know. What is that human impulse of like, oh man, I really think this is bad. Smell this.
0: <laughs> I, I think it's just a shared human experience. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it's it's the oldest the oldest tradition of man is scrawling a a ty- tyrannosaurus on the wall of a cave. This thing almost bit me. <laughs> so it's like that. It's an oral tradition.
1: It is when whenever something is horrible or sucks, we want to share it with the people closest to us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. It's it's it, it definitely I don't I don't I I'd say I've I've been uh putting on raves for a number of years so i've had to like clean up poop a number of times (laughs) (laughs) it's always a bathroom and it's always stopped up with something that was never in the bathroom i don't know like somebody's somebody's underwear i'm just like not sure who left with under no no underwear and that was fine
1: we I used to work um I used to work work at a club in Brooklyn in the early 2000s when electroclash was booming.
0: Oh, and, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you
1: familiar with that scene?
0: I have a funny story about it. Uh No, but go ahead. Go ahead.
1: So I I, I worked with Larry T and um you know it was the whatever Berlinian Berliniumsburg night and uh and I you know generally booked bands during the week and then the you know, the electro clash parties on a, a tale as old as time, you know, the the uh, the club uh, books, you know, sort of fucking rock bands all throughout the week. And the only way that they stay afloat is by the big gay dance parties on Fridays and Saturday nights. And then Sunday morning, I would come in to sort of answer emails and uh, listen to the answering machine and the fucking noise complaints from the neighbors and stuff like that. But I would come in on Sunday mornings, and well, sometimes I would find the staff still there at like ten a.m., which I was like, you know, "Props to you guys, and get the fuck out of here, go get some sleep." But I would find, I would find switchblades, uh, panties, uh, condoms, you know, bags of drugs, the fucking crack pipes, and. I I kind of marveled at it that like we're doing our our job correctly as you know people who throw parties that if this is what's if this is what's left over if this is the the bugs trapped in amber we're doing it right you know
0: I I love the idea of a switch play. <laughs> that's somebody was telling me the history of a of a theater here and uh there's a theater, a tiny like jewel box theater in downtown Seattle called The Rendezvous. And like, uh, it's been around for forever. I mean, like all of the, like a bunch of the grunge bands play, played there. And uh, it used to be a little more rundown than it is now. And somebody, some one of the other bar owners nearby was telling me about how rundown it used to be. He's like, it used to be real dangerous. There was a guy who used to go in there all the time. Big dude, scars covering his face from all the fights he had been. His name was Midnight Mike. (laughs) He he said, "When he was, it was a rough bar. He would have to take out his switchblade before coming into the bar."
1: (laughs) Jesus, the I I miss some of that stuff, and I also like really don't miss it. You know, I mean, I. I worked uh I worked at Beauty Bar on 14th Street in New York and there's this dude Brian who worked there and he looked like a Marvel supervillain like I'm I'm tall but he was just he was so you know, he looked like a fucking Colossus or something, you know, like a, an incredible Hulk body. And when I worked with him on Fridays and Saturday nights, my job wasn't to actually do security and to like put hands on customers. My job was to jump on him when he was about to kill somebody and be like, Brian, okay, that's that, That's enough. So like, stop, you know, the, I was like his handler.
0: You were um, the sundown guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, the, the one that I, I don't necessarily. This would be one of the ones I wouldn't share, but I because I was part of the rave movement when Electros Clash came around, we just saw it as the hipsters coming uh-huh. in to muscle in on rave music. And now that I'm much older, I like see it a little bit differently, and it helps, you know, introduce uh dance music to a, a whole scene of people who wouldn't have had it otherwise and probably again in the same way we're talking about these dance nights probably helped a bunch of rock clubs stay afloat during that time and uh but i didn't really listen to the bands too much they're all real fashionable they're always like good looking people clearly doing a lot of coke in a bathroom and um it was it was many years later i was out at a queer i was djing out at a queer party on a in the middle of tennessee um it's just like fairyland that's just what i the queers call just farmland or communes they call it fairyland uh then i forget the name of the party anyway i'm out there and i'm like djing and then i'm like practicing djing and i see a dude singing and he's like really good he's just practicing with a band and i just see him practicing and it isn't until later like I DJ and then their band goes on and the guy's a really great singer. And then uh, after the fact, everybody's freaking out. And then like after the fact, it was. um, It's like much later and I'm h- hanging out with the guy. He we like hit it off and he complimented my DJ set. And we started talking about Monkey Island and old LucasArts click and point games. All of these like old uh, wow. throwback video games. And then I'm talking to him and we're walking I'm like, You you're a singer, right? And he's like, Yeah. And he's like, You you now you say you're in a band. What what band is it? It's like, oh, Scissor Sisters. I had never I had never like seen or heard the Scissor Sisters much. So I didn't know what Jake Shears looked like. And I ended up like staying up late one night just like talking to him about video games. <laughs> In the middle of
1: Tennessee. That's awesome. I, I actually I went to I had a writing class with one of the guys from Scissor Sisters. Oh really? But the I remember I don't remember the I don't remember the person's name, but I remember. Um, I rem- I remember r- running into them um, when I was doing the you know when I was working at uh, at the club Lux mm-hmm. in Brooklyn and and running into him and I was like oh what are you doing here and he was like oh I'm in the band playing tonight you know and that was before they before they blew up but um it's yeah. funny you know cuz like if you if you live in that world long enough you eventually just cross paths with everybody
0: yeah 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 and i i and i i was unjustly nerdy about it and defensive just coming from like a rave background and these people being interlopers. And is not until as much later that I like got, it wasn't until I got like turned 38 that I really got LCD sound system and then, uh-huh. <laughs> that it's a bunch of old people. It's like a bunch of people like going through a midlife crisis and getting famous and finding it very weird. And like that whole, uh, seeing it with that whole lens, it just, uh, I don't know. I, it took me too long to get it. Uh,
1: (laughs) It's, it's funny too, because, you know, I mean, I, um, I'm 45, so I definitely grew up in a, like a real codified world of, um, you know, rock versus rap versus dance music. And the, we all grew up as sort of like rock and roll dudes. And then, and and you come from like certain, you know, a certain sort of meathead environment that, but you're so deep in it that you don't realize what it is until you look back and you realize, Oh, we're all white. We're all men. We're all straight. And that the rock rap dance divide was just codified racism and homophobia. And, um, and, and that's, that's a bummer. Um, but then you get to go back and sort of, re-listen to all the stuff that you wrote off when you were 13 um, with, you know, with with sort of New Years. And it's, uh, it, I mean, it's cool to rediscover that stuff. And it's also like, man, I, I could have just been listening to this the entire time.
0: Yeah, I, I, it was entirely, I, I entirely put it upon myself, the onus upon myself about it. But I think it also like, at that time, it was so much like, the scenes, beca- I think, at a certain point, exactly, we were talking about like the rock versus rap thing. But this, I think, was like at a point where it was just like they were young, <laughs> and we were older, <laughs> and it just became this whole like uh, we had done ecstasy before them, and they were just <laughs> discovering ecstasy, and it was like, okay, that's fine. You're gonna take ecstasy and listen to the Talking Heads, and it's gonna be great for you and uh, just get out of the bathroom and get the five of your friends out of that stall so I can take a dump and go home.
1: (laughs) It actually, it actually makes me feel like a lot better that you were kind of like snotty to these kids that they're, um, you know, because coming from my experience, I, I look back at everything in my past and it, it seems like, you know, every decision that I made, comes out of some different phobia that like later in life i'm working to get past so it's a great comfort to me to hear that for you it was just like the bitter old like uh you know rave folks who are like oh fuck you kids
0: (laughs) and also like looking back on it is so funny to be uh i think like I, i call myself a rave grandma because i'm just like uh my rave crew celebrates fifteen years of throwing parties uh, this Sunday, and wow. so like we're just having like a patio party. Uh, like we're we're just a nerdy little crew, and we just put on parties that are just for us, and they're all free, and we they end at a reasonable hour. <laughs> 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 this one's this one's five to nine. I mean we're real old, but I'm looking back at those like different movements and moments in especially like uh club culture i like look back and i'm like those kids and i realize they're just like three years younger than
1: me <laughs> I, I, yeah, I know, I know that. but
0: that's that's the tendency that happens in comedy too like i like if if the kid somebody could be the same age as me but if they started comedy like uh two years ago i mean they're kid
1: <laughs> yeah yeah I, this is, oh, this is a sad story. The When I was, whatever, 22, 23, uh, hanging out in New York, there was this, other. you know, um, my band Come On and my friend's band Candy Darlings were sort of the, we were the like sleazy rock bands and we played the sleazy rock parties and whatever. And we thought we were hot shit. Um, and then there was this other band that came, you know, that sort of came out of nowhere, And they were like private school kids. And one of them had like a connection with some modeling agency or whatever. So there were models at their shows. And they and we were sort of, you know, because we were like, I don't know, you know, 23 instead of 21. We were like the elder statesmen of the scene. And so they wanted to hang out with us. And we didn't want to hang out with them because they like couldn't hold their liquor. And they were, you know, they were kind of corny. And that band was The Strokes.
0: (laughs) 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 But you, but you're... They were hated. The Strokes were hated. Like, it was almost like a, a a shitty baseball team in New York. But, like, the Strokes were definitely those. That whole band has definitely been in one stall. And you were definitely trying to take a poop. And they were definitely <laughs> in that one stall.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, looking back, I'm like, man, I wish I had been in that stall, too. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but think about all of the feeling you have in your legs that you didn't if you hadn't compressed your legs into tight jeans and like (laughs) (laughs) way back then
1: (laughs) this is you know this is one of the things you know so i have had like a lifetime supply of sour grapes that the strokes sort of captured that moment and went on to huge success and my band didn't and the but the truth is like you know, my drinking was fucking out of control then. Mm-hmm. If things had gone any better for us, I would have like choked to death on my own vomit or, you know, the I used to, I used to do the I used to know the bass player from the Smiths and the we did this DJ night with him and he would always just like come in and collect this and nobody would ever come to it. And he was always shaking us down for tons of free drinks. And, you know, sometimes he would bring a friend or two. He had some 18 year old girlfriend and he was just like, so sleazy. And I was like, man, you're, you're just like trafficking on this thing that happened a million years ago. But now you're kind of a creep and nobody gives a shit, you know? And I, I feel, I think that I fear more than, aspirating on my own vomit and dying is just becoming like some, you know, somebody in their forties who's trafficking on shit that happened, you know, a long time ago.
0: Anytime, anytime that you missed not getting famous, almost certainly in rock and roll means you didn't die. And it also means you have a chance to, at your age to, to, uh, to die later with maybe even the same amount of people knowing your music. You just get left better shit on your grave because you've been alive longer. If you would have died early, they would have been leaving all sorts of crap on like shot glasses, all sorts of cutout lines of coke or whatever. But now that you're going to die older, it's going to be like, I don't know, Metamucil, Tums. I thought you were going
1: to say like literature. I, I didn't know you were going to go straight to like, you know, uh, Depends and like... <laughs>
0: Somebody's just draping a, a medical alert bracelet across yours, and like gone too soon, <laughs> or actually too late. <laughs> yeah,
1: actually, gone right on time. <laughs> um. So, Andy, I I don't know anything about you except that I saw you perform once at Altercation, and you're tremendously funny. And then now you're coming to do a show at my house. So the. We're just going to get to know each other. The, um, how long have you been doing comedy? How did you get into comedy? The, how haven't you gotten out of it?
0: <laughs> I, uh, I got into comedy uh, in like 2007. And I did it for about like a year and a half, maybe two years. Really shitty. And uh, then I took a break because um, I was a class i was a closeted a transgender person at that time and so there was I had all that on my mind and I had to deal with that before I could come back to comedy mm-hmm. and uh I came out as a trans woman then came back to comedy in like uh i think like 2012 2013 and then I've just been back at it the whole time uh so like 10 years but you know it's neither here nor there it's not 10 good years of it but uh
1: i, yeah. I don't think anybody has 10 good years of comedy
0: no there's always a year there's a year of somebody saying a joke the wrong way and just saying it's the audience's fault and then you just like slowly realize you've been swapping two words
1: <laughs> right yeah yeah
0: but but uh i, I i'm like I guess like the I knew I, this is corny. I knew from an early age because there is I I've had a love of comedy since I was really young, and there's a clip there. You could you could see the clip online. I'm just, I'll give a link to it because it'd just be funny to have that as a clip for people to know my work. Uh, I did comedy stand up comedy at a third grade talent show. Oh my god! And it's my dad taught me a couple of Stephen Wright jokes, and then <laughs> uh, I did a Steve Urkel impression.
1: Oh, and, this is priceless! Please tell me you're submitting this re, this clip uh, to get into festivals now.
0: Oh my god, that's so smart! Uh, <laughs> I have not, but I have not, but I might as well have. I think I would have done better, but like, I just I. I don't want to say it was like I, – I, I've just always had a love for comedy, and yeah, that's, that's really it. I mean, the real kick in the pants was really uh, Pat, Oswalt's uh, Werewolves and Lollipops uh-huh. was just a huge – that was like my first comedy, comedy, comedy album that was like I attached myself to as some sort of personality at that point.
1: I, I feel like that album was a gateway drug for uh, Jake Flores, too. Um I I mean, it's funny because I mean, I feel like Stephen Wright is, is a great place for a kid to start. If, you know, if you want to be a comedian, the, I, you know, I, I think my, the first, I had two sort of like waking moments where I was like, Oh, this is what I want to do. And one was the toy with Richard Pryor where,
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: A black man is owned by a rich white kid. The not a movie you could make today, <laughs> Um, and then fucking Sam Kinnison, and that that's like a whole little character study about sort of where I come from and what I've been pushing back against. And then I think that, you know sort of as an adult the um, the you know that that it was like a Stanhope like live DVD that was my sort of Patton Oswald that then sort of pushed me into it. And then yeah, so a lot of unlearning there too i um, i
0: think i i'm me and my friends are just forever making each other laugh sitting around like denny's late at night in high school and like like that just making your friends laugh or making each other laugh was like so important and i think like that you know you'll you find you have your like like lightning points that uh that just really like draw in your focus that, Oh, I think I could do this, but then there's some unlearning. Like I used to like Tosh a lot and uh-huh. he's, his joke construction on his like first comedy central special is like really, really amazing. But then like, he just became in somebody else entirely. Uh, but there's a lot of unlearning, a lot of words and shittiness. Yeah. <laughs> like the werewolves and lollipops I can go back and listen to, but there's like, even Patton has been like really uh, ardent about not a lot of that aging really well.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the nature of language, you know, is that, I mean, the nature of human beings is that we grow, we change, hopefully we mature, we transform the, and, and language evolves too. You know, I got, um, I told a story for the moth in 2011 where I used the word tranny and it was a word that I had learned from hanging out with transgender DJs in New York and the and and I'm you know I'm a writer and I'm a language nerd so if you go back and trace the etymology of it it is a word that did originate in the community and then has uh, has sort of taken on a life as a slur and the the moth ran my story on NPR, uh, unedited without any notes or whatever, in which I use the word tranny, you know, to to refer to friends of mine. Right. And I sort of got, I didn't get canceled. I got, you know, I got some like really nasty messages and some, some mean tweets and stuff like that. And I sort of just had to, um, I had to stand up for myself and say these are my friends, these are people I care about. This wasn't something that i you know that I said um to be hateful this was this is a word that the the meaning of it has evolved over time. It's not a word I use anymore, mm-hmm. and also I had to write kind of a point a pointed email to the people at the moth and be like, Yo, uh editing." exists you guys right. can just vacuum that right out of there and it's not gonna you know it's not a it's not the fulcrum of the story you know
0: yeah i i'm somebody explained it to me one way the way that it was explained to me because i would use it regularly and like lots of jokes and stuff but the way that somebody explained it to me uh really bluntly was like that's the last word some trans women here before they're killed and uh, once somebody put it that way i was like oh i don't i don't i don't i'm not going to really use it uh i mean at the same time like if you if you got rid of every word that you said before somebody died we wouldn't be able to say the word oops (laughs) Uh, so we like, wouldn't be able
1: to say the word "god" either and yeah, i and yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm in favor of that
0: what the fuck <laughs> you can't say <laughs> any of this so you'd get canceled for saying any of those but i I think like i i even if I can use it when i I've only now just started writing a bit about it and the usage of it, but I think somebody said that like if you don't hear it all the time, when you hear it, it should be like a oh. Like the that it right. if it if it comes across as that I don't use it in a joke because I don't I don't use it I I've started using it but only after a lot of like framing it the right way I think that uh, yelling at people online and just yelling just doesn't help I've just found that discussions with people one on one has worked better and I think that. Uh, like, I think everybody grows and examines language, and I think that everybody needs to be treated as human. And we also know what somebody saying something terrible about trans people, somebody not, and what the difference between those two usages are. I think as long as you're examining it and not like, you you know, uh, as long as you're examining it and like thinking about it, that's that's great. I mean, it's a funny word too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I once walked into a i was on a show in la and like i don't see it i certainly don't hear it a lot and i i worked on walked in to do the show in a bar in la this gay bar and uh as i walked in up on the wall just said uh hot tranny action and it was just huge and then like the person the, like the host of the show came over they're like we're sorry that's not for you (laughs) and then like
1: i hope you were like what am i not hot
0: i know right (laughs) right right uh so then like i i i'm doing i'm like headline i'm closing the show and there's like it's there's a handful of people and they're all sitting in the back there's like five dudes sitting at the back and they're all just like sitting by themselves at tables and they were you know listening and i you know told some jokes and stuff told my normal boob puns or whatever and then uh i i i like end my set and i'm like thank you have a good night and then as i'm stepping off stage the back doors of the bar throw open and out comes a stream of 50 of not 50 like 15 trans escorts that immediately go to the back toward these five dudes sitting at the back tables and i realized that the sign was for them which means that these dudes paid money to meet transgender escorts for hot tranny action and they show up at a bar and what they get is one nerdy-looking trans woman telling boob puns in a hoodie. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: like, you like, got to go through me to get to that.
0: Right, 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 right. I'm I'm here to haze you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah, like, you're... it's a term that's used for sex workers a lot of times. And, like, I understand that some sex workers use it because it had, it's still a search term, and it's still a way for those sex workers to find people. And so I can't, like politicize every usage of it if this is somebody's livelihood and so there is there is a little bit of that but i'm also like of the era of i'm like a 40 so i grew up with i knew i was trans in like i don't know middle school so i grew up with Uh there being transgender being transsexual transvestite and those all three being like separate things like Transgender right. was full time. Transsexual is just like you're into wearing clothes and then uh you're into wearing clothes and having sex and then transvestite was just the clothes and so like the the three just meant different things and like you know, and cross dressers too. Like those are all like five different like I don't if it was like Scientology, you've got five different levels, do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and like uh They were all different levels and I trans kids now don't have that and are thankfully don't have to deal with all of it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. One, you know, one of the things that I, uh, that was valuable for me of, um, you know, the experience of being on tape saying tranny and it being blasted out to the world of like, you know, and people not knowing me, Right, and just you know, hearing that was—I remember having a conversation where uh, the mother of a trans child was like coming at me really hard, and I was like, you know, fuck you, lady! Like, you don't know me. You don't know where I come from. You don't know my experience. You don't know, you know. And then I went and like looked at her Instagram profile, and you know, and I, I was just like, oh, she's you know some fussy white lady from the suburbs, you know. And then I went and looked at her profile and. Yes, she was indeed a fussy white lady from the suburbs. But then I was able to sort of see that for her to have a trans child, there was nothing in her experience that prepared her for that. Her child is her child. So she loves her kid. And then um, what happened was she just perceived me attacking her child. And it was actually, was valuable to me because I, you know, I suddenly had empathy for a Starbucks soccer mom, you know, that she's just, um, she's fielding an experience that she's totally unprepared for as her child is unprepared for, you know, and, and since then I've, I've had, um, you know, a bunch of conversations with my friends who are parents, um, and their kids are trans and the, and they're like, man, I have no idea, you know, what to do with this, like how to deal with this, you know, um, So I have, you know, I have empathy for parents too. Um, And I I don't think I would have, um, I don't know, without having that experience and, and, you know, just sort of seeing all the different ways in which it radiates out or whatever.
0: I think the thing is, is that we have so many people online yelling that word at us a lot of times to try to hurt us. And I think that um, it's a, it's understandable that sometimes people would just, like, it would just, you'd just be another person yelling at it. But I don't think it's the same. I also don't, I also think that um, we share, I think too many of these um, so-called queer positive websites share stories of somebody like saying something terrible and then share that story. And I'm reading that on the way to work or it could have just been taken care of and not gotten those clicks for those ads on that site. And like it becomes clickbait, clickbait. That's like supposedly positive, but it's just like, you, then it become. I like had to start following some of these outlets cause they're just sharing every time something terrible is happening. And I think it becomes hard to like hear that there's, Humanity to some of these things or there's misconceptions or sometimes it's something that we said years ago and then it's the art it's being shared as happening yesterday and there's like all of this um, it just makes everything the same loud loud volume and it doesn't allow for um, you to people to disseminate like what's really dangerous and what's really terrible and uh you know there's and there's a lot of things happening right now where it's just like we can very loudly see that stuff is happening to like trans kids and it would be i don't know it's like all these misconceptions about this stuff has fed into it and i really feel for kids now but the reality also is is that like we had to build knowing how to be trans on oral tradition like there was no i come from an era of like i didn't meet another trans person for i think i knew i was trans in like middle school maybe a little bit yeah i think like middle school and then like my parents had an inkling there's a picture of me at like eight years old with a fisher price tea set that i got for christmas (laughs) <laughs> and that that isn't that it's necessarily oh a, a a kid that wants a tea set's a girl but they like knew something was different about me asking for it um or how i asked for it but uh like i i just i think we're we're i honestly i'm just super optimistic kids can find each other and like tr- other trans people can find each other online and i was finding the only trans people i could talk to in like 1990 like like when i started getting online in like 93 94 were crossdressers and, and so i'm like i don't know like 16 and there's all and i'm like talking to like i don't know it's a 30 plus year old uh crossdressers and they're like how old are you and they're like i'm not talking to you but like (laughs) they're all really responsible and we're like we can't talk to you legally but uh those were the only people i was aware of and it was uh i just i really am more optimistic about trans kids today um than most people of these articles would have you believe um
1: so i i have a um i have a a bullshit theory about this. The Andy, you want to hear another bullshit theory about uh, about transsexuality from a straight white man? The, <laughs> that's that's why I've invited you here. The no. So my and I, um, you're a music head too. So I feel like um, when I was when you know when I was a kid, there was a hard division between uh you know, not just between, you know, rock, rap, dance music, but then, you know, in rock it was like um hard rock or heavy metal or hair metal or indie or doom or, you know, all these sort of different stratifications. And we experienced music in a uh linear hierarchical fashion, you know, and I, I talked about this in a, a piece that I wrote, you know, that it, it's sort of like um you know uh Metallica, Nirvana Jane's addiction, you know, the sort of these bands that you, um, that sort of steer you towards some kind of counterculture or subculture. Um, but now with, you know, sort of the the younger kids, by which I mean, people grown adults who are in their thirties, the, um, they grew up with Spotify and with streaming and with access to everything all at once. So then they perceive all of these, you know, if you listen to somebody like, uh, like Barty Strange, you know, or the, I don't know, fucking any contemporary band, there's not a lot of like pure rock bands, you know, or or maybe like Post Malone, you know, who's, you know, sort of like uh, um, indie emo songwriter, rapper, rock band, right? So it all sort of blurs together. And I think it's a result of the internet and streaming and everybody, you know, people coming to musical awareness and experiencing everything on the same plane. Similarly, um, you know, kids these days, kids these days, I love saying that. Um, I feel like they come to awareness as young adults, um, learning about, Heterosexuality and homosexuality and every different stripe of lesbian, bi, non-binary, trans—that they sort of experience it all on the same wavelength. And at least when I talk to my sister's kids who are uh, in their like late teens, early twenties i i had a conversation with my nephew where i was going to sort of like try and explain to him homophobia and why it's wrong and uh and he just sort of looked at me and was like yeah no it's cool like whatever people want to do that you know as long as they're happy like and they're not hurting anybody i i want them to do that i want them to be happy i want them to have good fulfilling lives it doesn't bother me or have anything to do with my life like why are you talking to me about this
0: i th- i think that's a good way to uh i th- i think that's a great way to to like talk about it like the the talking about the musicality of it and the way that spotify has done uh certain things uh what i think that i would say when i started DJing, i only could afford cd decks And so the amount of music I could get on CD that I could DJ with and mix with was very little. It was very small, and a lot of it was outdated and not very good. And there was a lot of gatekeeping with vinyl at that time. Uh Like, you had to, like, it would be... Uh, you would need $2,000 <laughs> to get turntables. Then you would need another $500 for a Pioneer Mixer. And then you would need to, like, know a record, go to a record store. And you need to be in good with the dude at the record store to uh, get the best records. Because he would take them out for his buddies before they even reach stock. So, the like, the gatekeeping and everything doesn't, like, isn't allowing for... Growth at a certain level it doesn't allow djs to get above a certain level in that time now with like spotify and everything now it's like opened up the floodgates and um some older djs will complain about it but i'm always like i think that people now have a freedom of music that is I think more catered, I think they're curate more of their music than, uh, we would ever think. You get, uh, and that's same would be gender. I think the same thing is true of music now. You have so many bands that are like multi-genre. And that's just like much in the same way as non-binary. There's multi-genre bands and you can't pin them down with one, uh, with one moniker. And I also think that's true of like, I don't think there's such thing as a guilty pleasure anymore. I right. think that we we I think like Spotify. I think that is the thing we don't talk about. It's like when somebody's like, oh, "I like this one Britney Spears song." I'm like, yeah, look at my playlist, and like we can share, and like we don't feel as guilty about sharing those things. And um, I really do think the kids that are out today they're making rock music but they're not trying to get clout so for us to hear them we'll have to wait for another like five years but you have bands like turnstile and like Uh wet leg and like idols and they're all doing these wild shit that's like pushing back towards rock i mean there's like death valley girls there's like wild ones there's like all of this music and while it um it all is like it very much so draws from a dip bunch of different uh, genres at once, and it's hard to peg down as being super rock. But I think the rock, rock coming back. I mean, it's it's we're on the precipice of of it. I I imagine like, I I'm, everything about dance music is cyclical, and kids are getting back to listening to music that came out like sounds of house music that came out in two thousand five. So I entirely expect everything to go back to like not only uh, rock music, but kids just not using social media at all.
1: Uh. That's, that's going to be really interesting to see the, I, I mean, I I feel like, yeah, I remember, you know, when I'm old enough to remember when Facebook was cutting edge and now it's like my mom and her friends, you know, I, uh, I went to idols the other night though. They were in, uh, they were in Phoenix, and it was such a funny experience because I I got into them because it sounds like what I like. I like those sounds. I like British accents. You know, I like sort of uh damaged, dancey art punk. Um I like stuff that sounds like it came out of Brooklyn in the early two thousands. I uh, and um and I love Bristol. You know, I I've I played there a bunch of times. Awesome town. I have a bunch of friends there. And then I was on the plane out to going out to New York and the fucking idols documentary was playing on like United airlines or whatever, which is another, that's another tie into the streaming thing. So I watched that instead of watching the matrix. And then I got really into, you know, their backstory and sort of how they are, how it is kind of macho music. But then for them, it's all about compassion and connection and community and, But and then seeing them play in Phoenix, you know, Phoenix is um, everything here is like 20 or 30 years behind the mainstream. You know, I feel like people are still getting tribal tattoos here. I I call tribal tattoos the Phoenix master's degree because it's like I knew in New York, everybody I knew had a master's degree and everybody here has a fucking tribal tattoo. But it's like every fan of loud music of any kind came out to the idols show from just sort of like knuckle dragging hardcore brawlers to, um, you know, uh, got, you know, the sort of old punk rock nerds in their fifties or whatever. There was a guy there with this kid on his shoulders, you know, the, there were the sort of riot girl types And, um, and it was awesome to see sort of everybody just come together like a family, but then also it, people were like moshing. And I was like, it's not, it's not really what you do to this here. The, you know, these songs are about compassion and you're just fucking shouldering your way through the crowd. The, um, but, uh, I don't know, maybe that's just a measure of how fucking old I am.
0: No, I, I. I grew up listening to sk- third wave ska and that was like the first music that taught me about people could dance and not just punch each other in front of a stage. Uh-huh. And uh, I got into it that way. But then like, as I've gotten older, I uh, like, I've like had this, this long discussions with my friends about like mosh pits and how, like, what's a good mosh pit as opposed to a bad mosh pit. And seeing as this sort of dancing and like, I it's, it's really interesting to me. It's not my jam, but, like, I see it as people, like, a, you have to have a certain size of crowd for somebody to, to start a pit. And so, the, like, for somebody to start a pit means, you know, that's applause for a band, except for one hand hitting another. It's one shoulder of one dude with a <laughs> with a band shirt on hitting the other shoulder of another dude. And the uh, the real weird one, though, is some there's this weird cross-section of now um djs and producers uh becoming their own small bands they all in the way that bands used to have like punk and metal bands will have their like fucking logo behind them now all of the DJs have logos. And like w- what some of the bad boy DJs like have kids starting mosh pits at clubs to dubstep. And it is so confusing to me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> do, you, do you have... I, I just had uh, Mike Wiebe from uh, Riverboat Gamblers on a couple oh, days wow. ago. And we were talking about being fucking old rock dudes. Do you have do you feel a sense of sort of like nostalgia or missing out from, you know, when you guys started throwing parties 15 years ago, or are you happy to have reached the, what did you say? Rave grannies? Is that what I'm, you saying?
0: I'm, I'm a rave grandma. I grandma like the... I've, I've been going to raves for about 20 some years and I'm putting on parties for about, uh, god 18 years but this crew that i started in seattle we started in like 2007 and we did it entirely as a snarky response to shitty big parties that were going on at the same time and so uh but i, th- I think as of going on like you see that Dance music is so much cyclical. It's so cyclical and I think the same is true of like most rock music. It's like yeah. a maximal to minimal amount of elements and it just cycles over time. It'll be like a lot of sound, then very little sound, then a lot of sound, and it just it just goes back and forth in terms of what, what becomes popular. I was DJing uh I've been DJing for a while and then I've been teaching DJing. I taught DJing for about 10 years and teaching young kids and seeing like what they're into in dance music is so weird because I then would have to teach myself about like these genres that I didn't know. And uh, it all really just stays the same. As much as things change, they stay the same. I see equivalencies between it. I mean, that's so much about comedy is finding equivalencies and i think the same is true of like all this music just i don't i don't think it's it's changed all that much <laughs> uh,
1: um, how you you talk about having to sort of like learn new stuff um to teach uh, to keep, to teach the kids to teach the students did you find teaching to be like energizing or draining or cuz i go back and forth you know when i'm teaching to to say that like you know all writing is about pain or all writing is about suffering and and seeing it at times as being sort of formulaic and then other times to be able to see to say oh you know this is different or this is you know it it alternately it alternately flattens out and then sort of becomes 3D and then flattens out and becomes 3D I
0: I living in Seattle I moved here um in uh, to uh, about the same time, about uh about fifteen years ago now, and uh, the reason I moved here is that there was a, a rave scene here at a time when raves died out completely across the country, and the reason is is that there's a radio station here called CD nine point five. It is the one of the longest, I think, the longest running dance music station in the United States and uh it's at a high school kids <laughs> run this dance music station it's been around long enough that they were the ones that broke uh they're the ones that first played like Lady Gaga they're also the same wow. to give you an idea of how long they've been around they're the ones that uh broke the, song from greece you're the one that i love one <laughs> they're the ones that first played it and made it into a hit just playing it but that like youthful that like that there's this youth to this culture here that just didn't exist anywhere else and uh i worked in harm reduction for a number of years i worked in dance safe because like there were a lot of young kids and i felt like i'd necessary to like pitch in in that way And at a certain point I realized uh, you want to hear, I stopped doing it because you kids need to hear that from people their own age. So like kids need to hear that kind of information from other kids and not just like some fucking adult. And the, and the reality is, is I stopped uh, teaching a little bit just because what I I realized is like, it's kind of up for kids to sculpt that and find it themselves and really change all those structures. And at a certain point, I was, you know, able to like teach kids certain things and teach adults. I also taught all the way to adults, like 60 year old adults, how to DJ and stuff. And uh, it was really fulfilling. But at a certain point, I felt like I, I said enough to enough people. All my students uh, are far more famous than I. am. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, Andy, I have never been to a rave. I live in fear of having to dance in a public setting. I keep, I keep threatening to take like a fucking dance class or something, so that I be, I suddenly like have some confidence in like how to move my body in time to music. The and you're making me feel like I fucking missed out on something. The I also don't want to be the 45 year old dude, the who's like, Yeah, let's party, you know, the you know, going to a fucking rave for the first time, but um, but yeah, but I don't know, you, what...
0: but you also were in New York. At a incredibly monumentally important part of dance modern dance music. Electroclash is what uh, you were present in the clubs that saved dance music. That like era of Electroclash really, really saved and made dance music more exciting. That's what leads into... Baltimore Club becoming popular with hipsters. That's what then leads into uh, like Fidget House and Electro. And then Electro be- becomes EDM and then EDM takes all the way over. But you don't get any of that without that vital point in those clubs in with like Fisher Spooner and all of those ban- all of those bands in yeah. New York. So it wasn't like the raves that were happening at that time were... It, they had all but died out they were corny <laughs> so there yeah. was good reason you you were there at a uh a really historical point like you you saw a lot of stuff that uh people talk about you know clearly if i know the history of what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> you were already there at a vital point so i wouldn't say you missed out i'd say you were just as much a part of it if you were in these clubs in new york
1: it it was definitely, it was a fucking wild time. And it was, you know, it was killer seeing like just sort of these lines around the block and people who had come from all over the world to see this night and to have this experience. And the, and also, I mean, there would be the like, you know, 21, 22 year old, like little electro clash boys who were sort of like um, finding their fucking tribe, yeah. you know, and, and that was so cool to just see um uh, to you know to to see to see them be welcome to see them sort of like uh, start to fucking resonate and be like oh this is who I am this is where I belong these are my people um and, and you know for, for the record too those nights were like we always had to deal you know it was it was you know the neighborhood was still transitional so i had like You know, I would get in fights with people sometimes. A guy pulled a fucking screwdriver on me one time, but like, and none of this happened at the Electro Clash nights. The everybody got super fucked up, tipped the bartenders. Everybody had an awesome time, and there was never like bullshit. And it was it was always on like a fucking Tuesday night when fucking Bongzilla was playing. That the coke dealer came in on a bender, or you know what I mean. It was like the. I
0: I think you're you're also like. Um, like, especially right there in New York at that point, you like the club kids and all that, uh, what's this fuck the limelight and the tunnel and all those clubs got closed down. So again, you're, it's starting at this incredibly low base, like there's, it's starting from zero at that point. And so like, you're. Uh, you're you're seeing the birth. You were there at the birth of like what becomes EDM. I'm the I'm really absolutely quite honestly telling you, you were you were there at, like at a very integral time for dance music.
1: It's so funny because I know I know nothing about dance music. You know the um we just knew that it was uh that it was a fun time and that it was a fucking packed crowd and that they were great and the. Uh, um you know promoters were super super cool i'm still friends with some people from that scene the, uh, um
0: and that's like that's the uh that's like especially a key part because like what the what the hipsters or the rockers coming into dance music brought was a diy a diy uh spirit that was missing from the uh i i mean like you know all the dance music being the background of you know uh commercials and action movies and electro clash and like that era like really brings it back to being underground and cool again it's it doesn't get co-opted for a fair amount of time and even when it is they like Do a great job of like culture jamming, of being like, I know I'm doing this and I know you're going to pay a lot of me a lot of money, but I'm going to do it with the least amount of effort because of fuck you.
1: (laughs) There we I remember the the crossover where, you know, Friday and Saturday nights early, we would book rock bands to play whatever, seven, eight, nine o'clock and then turn it over to the DJs. And there was always this, you know, sort of interesting moment where the bands were loading out and then all the club kids were loading in. And there would always be a couple people in the bands who were like, fuck it, guys, I'm going to stay like this seems <laughs> awesome. You know, The that's one of the things like, we've been talking about, the, you know, the whole time is just sort of like the uh, the lines getting blurred, doors opening, people being like, oh, this is a new thing. I I, I want to see what this is like, you know.
0: And that's and that's everything that happens around in New York, uh, between you know like New Wave and Disco and all of that happening at the same time. You get like you know David Byrne playing on old Arthur Russell tracks, like you get you get that guitar being all over the place on all of these records, and then you get like Blondie doing stuff. I mean, like the uh, Tom Tom Club is the outsold any Talking Heads record and is, like, one of the most sampled songs of all time. Like, somebody just put out a, a couple new songs sampling it again, and uh, it's it's all because of that kind of New York miasma of influences. It is exactly that. It's the guitarist from a band sticking around for the DJ yeah, night.
1: Yeah, yeah, and everybody really partying together. How... um. I had no idea that you had this like hardcore musical background how does how you know does your passion for music how does that speak to your comedy and like how um you know how have those things played off of each other
0: um I so much about what we loved with raves was not throwing we didn't we've never thrown big raves we always wanted to throw parties that were a reasonable size so we could go home at a reasonable hour and uh so we would throw them all over the place we got that th- we threw them in an arcade for about six years once a month and it was just like getting to see tiny kids dancing yeah. so like like all ages kind of things, but really like families and stuff and making it But the idea of bringing uh, that energy to different spaces and transforming and redefining the space um, of a room or a place with that music and with our attitudes is entirely what goes into me, like, putting on comedy shows in places. Like, I wake it to be a good bar and, like, that kind of shit, like... Uh, my skill, my like set of skills, like putting all that on went into me putting on uh, comedy uh, comedy shows and then went into like just how I approach looking for comedy gigs. The same kind of like abandon for uh, that ravers would have just going off with some friends they barely knew to some far off rave. I love that about going to small DIY spaces across the country. Like it's really become uh, the experiences of doing comedy in a lot of different weird ass places is more interesting to me than uh, necessarily like doing like shows in a theater for a thousand people. It becomes that like, I uh, like at a certain point in comedy, you have to like decide like what it is you're going for. And just like finding a show that finding 30 people in a small town who want to listen to me. And I break even for uh break, even for the weekend, getting there and back. That's all I want. I don't need to make a living off of it. And like, That very much so is, you know, is very much so taken from my attitudes towards putting on raves and going to raves. Uh,
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, I mean, I I think when we're kids, when we, you know, if you watch a comedy special and you see the velvet curtains and you see the the crowd and you see the lights and stuff like that, you know, you think that, um, Oh, that's fucking awesome. That's what I want. And then I, I think as you, as you get older, um, There's a perspective of, oh, anybody can kill in front of a hot crowd like that. And that's wrong, too. But I've always been kind of apologetic about the tours that I do and the shows that I have. And, you know, because... It's always weird. We're always, it feels like we're always building something from the ground up. And a, a lot of times I'm working with people that I, you know, people who I don't know and doing shows in backyards, on decks, in trailers. We did a, you know, I I did a tour with Jake Flores and we did a show in a Irish themed vape lounge in the middle of kansas somewhere and then we did we had another show that night in a coke dealer's living room and at the end of the tour i was like jake i'm so fucking sorry dude like i just you know i i had no idea that these shows were going to be so weird or so scattered and like amazing one night and then just you know escaping by the skin of our teeth the next night and he looked at me, and he was like, "What? Are you crazy, man? No, this is it. The, you know, the, like you nailed it. You know, and uh, there is definitely something there about building, building the space from the ground up. Of you know the um, the club is tonight. It's just this night. It starts when." when we start playing when we open doors when people come in and it ends when you know the bartender says okay fuck you guys i'm turning the house lights on you all have to leave and the it's tough and it's exhausting and it's hard and it doesn't always work but it's i don't it is so much more rewarding than um a, a dance club where it's just, you know, every Tuesday it's ladies night, you know, the yeah. two for one frogaritas and, you know, whatever.
0: Yeah. The same, the same stale nature of, of, you know, dance clubs can happen. That same stale nature can be a, the, the homogenized nature of some, you know, comedy clubs, like their clubs and things. I, I think, I think the most important thing to me was when I was annoyed by something putting on in like clubs and something or whatever, I would, uh, I would respond in my own way and turn that negative energy into something positive. And so like when I saw that people were pushing everybody, everybody was wanting a VIP badge or to be in a VIP table And then we threw a party and gave out VIP badges to everybody. (laughs) (laughs) So like the idea of doing something like that. And like, so instead of being like, I'll be upset about stuff, especially trans stuff, especially like Dave Chappelle. But like, oh man, I, but I, I think the other, I think the thing is that I've, as I've grown older, I've, learned and seen comedians who've said transphobic things be like you know what i was kind of shitty i mean even like eddie murphy like was the yeah well he was like he uh he's the he's the groundbreaker for being a like really apologetic about what he said on the specials and this is like in the early 90s he's having an interview And really being, like, reflecting upon it and being like, I said terrible things. And he, like, set the bar. Like, he really set the bar in, like, just a simple, like, I was an asshole. I'm going to grow. And that's the way I always, instead of, like, trigger warning or what's all these phobias are banned or having to list everything, I'm just like, don't be an asshole. It's simple enough to keep people from uh, being shitty, but... I think I think people are just human and it's so much nicer to meet them face to face touring in all of these like weirdly play these weird places that should be conservative, like me going to Bozeman, Montana, or (laughs) going like way out into these like rural areas. And I just found out that they're just humans just like me. And like, I just uh, have learned that comedy really brings this together and creates a special moment and traveling these small places towns are so stoked that you like came the way the fuck out to yeah to to perform and i i just love that that's become my lifeblood in
1: i love meeting the fucking weird kid in the small town Right, the because there's always like one kid who comes to the show who's super stoked, who has fucking pink hair and a nine inch nails shirt, and the, you know, and they're like, "You're from New York? What's it like?" You know, uh, and the and they don't have, um, there's there's no hierarchy or division in the subculture they just like subculture they understand that they don't belong and um other things that don't belong are uh gay culture and uh heavy metal and you know and it's like they're like okay i'll take all that that's you know um But, yeah, it is super meaningful to go and, you know, meet those kids and talk, you know, just fucking talk to them before the show or after the show or see them Uh, fucking light up, you know, to see to meet somebody who's not from their town.
0: I I think the nice thing about uh, what I can truly say is that Dave Chappelle doing any if anything is spurring more kids to try comedy and it's really spurring more trans kids to try comedy i and i think more so than anything what i can say is the most hopeful thing about like trans people in comedy is that i go to all these small towns and i meet the non-binary or trans comic uh-huh. and like and like meeting all these kids who are just starting and um the most beautiful thing Is that there have been trans comics enough time that there's trans hack. (laughs) 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 And it's the nicest thing, not since we were, uh, not since we were, not since we finally made it on Law and Order as victims. (laughs) <laughs> uh, showing up at corpses, have we really felt like we've been, uh, you know, acknowledged by mainstream culture? I, that's like, that's always, uh, uh, that's, that's truly lets you know you've made it as a marginalized group. If you're uh, murdered on law and order. <laughs> and like, I, I feel the same is true of like hack comedy. Once you've been around long enough for there to be hack comedy for your marginalized group, you've really made it.
1: <laughs> I, I- so I was I was talking to a friend about this, you know, that, um, you know, and he and and this wasn't like spiteful or hateful. It was just sort of um, uh, quizzical or interrogating, you know, and, and, you know, he was saying like the do you really think all the kids you meet these days who identify as um, non-binary, asexual, trans, you know, do, do you think that do you really think that all of them are? And what I pointed him to was, you know, when I was in the early nineties, when I was, uh, when I was in high school, the, um, it's like every girl we met, um, had manic panic hair and identify and a nose ring and identified as bisexual because she had gotten drunk and kissed another girl at a party. And, 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 I, I and most of those women now are married to men and have kids and you know and and appear very straight the but what they did was actually quite radical in that for a bunch of um fucking horny teenage boys they made women being bisexual um <laughs> Not just boring, but aggressively uninteresting for us right so they they just normalized it so if um if some twelve year old affects being trans um, because they feel like they don't fit in or they don 't know where they fit in the even even if they were you know even if you look at it as bad faith, even if they were just doing it for attention what they're actually doing is pretty radical, which is they are increasing trans visibility until hopefully we get to a point where everybody's just like, yeah, I don't give a shit. Fuck whoever you want. Love whoever you want. You know, the,
0: I, I think the best way to describe it is that thing where like when a kid is like when a kid's like learning how to like wear clothing and the kid's like walking around in like, rain boots and a tutu and a fireman's hat <laughs> like that's what's happening with kids and gender because it's like even less i like there's less trans women there's more non-binary kids and it's stuff that i have to educate myself on because i grew up just being a trans woman and that's still in a binary mm. and uh so, I've got to learn shit about that. But the reality is, I mean, the root re- is that it is so nice that kids really young can try this shit out and figure it out. And taking the stigma away from clothing, I think, is really just w- where it needs to happen. And once that yeah. happens, I think that you won't, it won't be as much of a widespread. Um, I think that, uh, there are a lot of kids that aren't with us because they weren't given a chance to do this kind of stuff. And Uh it's impossible to tell how many people it is, but it is a huge number. And like, I, I don't like to, I don't drive that home. I'm just like, I think I'm, I'm really happy that people are having these conversations and that like little kids can try this shit out. And like, maybe they try a pronoun. Maybe they grow out of it maybe they learn that i mean is that any uh, is that any like as i i think it's much more i think the some kid trying uh they on for a year is nowhere near as dangerous as somebody doing a gender reveal party and burning down half of california <laughs> 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 Do you know what i'm saying like i think there's uh i i I, i'm just so happy that they're able to find each other and like uh try this shit out and even if they grow out of it or double down i mean more often than not they're not growing out of it but
1: yeah the you know i i think you know i think back to, to sort of my junior high high school experience you know and there were there were so many of my classmates who were um, they were a skater for a year or two years, and then they were a metalhead and then they were goth you know and they were they were allowed and then they became like super normal you know the and they were allowed the space to do that like the everybody should have that space to uh, whether it's it's musical genre or gender you know the fucking who cares who's it hurting
0: i think the the way that I often describe it and if we 're talking about like comedy, I think like part of me uh, moves through what would be considered woke spaces, but there's like so much of my upbringing is like things like wrestling and backyard. (laughs) I grew up backyard wrestling and listening to like ICP and all this shit. And like, I see validity in all of that. I think I try to take that as all part of myself and not be ashamed of it. And I think that like, really um using dick jokes to talk about the trans experience kind of like has helped me like it kind of like you know it's like when you hide medicine for your dog (laughs) (laughs) inside other things you like just puts like you just put in some peanut butter and you sleep it in and then like a cis dude doesn't use a doesn't say shitty things but i i think for the most part when you just like Describe these when people we just find more human ways to describe this shit. I think it's way better, and just in the same way that like people don't. I don't think there's a such thing as like a guilty pleasure, unless it's like a trans person liking Dave Chappelle's like newer. Stuff. <laughs> I still think he's funny. It's kind of like I don't like everything Bill Bird does. Uh, I don't like everything he does, but he's a great fucking dad. I love hearing him talk about like how great he is with his kids. And I like, I can see him as a whole person. And I try to do that with a lot of like, instead of just being upset with somebody all the time, I'm like, well, I like this about them. And that's,
1: that's the riddle of Dave Chappelle is that he's like, you know, the greatest of all time and the fucking worst, you know? And
0: if he, I, I I, think the thing is, is like to tell you how long it's been, I was writing the names of dead trans women on the sidewalks outside of his shows in 2015 to give you an idea of like how long Ugh. it's been going on. And yeah. like uh, at a certain point, I'm just like, uh it's just corny. Every I th- like even the people who like him are kind of like if if his next special just moved on, I think it would be fine. Yeah, I, his
1: his transphobia is a fucking hack bit at this point because he's just he's done it so many times.
0: I I he's never held on to any other joke or any <laughs> other note of his comedy, and like I still think he can say he still says important shit. It's just like all like. I keep hearing a lot of comics who I know a lot of comics I looked up to turn into old dudes and like uh, just like old men. And it's it's fine. You just hear them like deciding where they're going to run out of learning new shit. And I think that more often than not, there's less of that. And I think a lot of it comes from somebody getting richer and not having like interaction with like younger people.
1: Um, one one of the things that I that I'll cop to always having stumbled with is they them because I'm a writer. My I'm Canadian. We we love grammar. We love language. We love like linguistics and the it's the um you know the there there and there the three different iterations if if i ever see a fucking tweet and somebody gets it wrong i'm like you're a fucking dummy and that's that's it's stupid i mean like nobody gives a shit about that delineation anymore but the but i you know i'd always it had just sort of clanged in my ear the they them and i i absolutely recognize that human lives are more important than my little grammatical nitpicking but one of the things that helped me sort of aggressively get over it was uh you know people's dating profiles where it says if you have pronouns swipe left and it's like you fucking dummy we all have pronouns (laughs) everybody has pronouns regardless of whether you you know you embrace uh putting on a different pronoun because it's tuesday you know the or not everybody has pronouns and if you can't understand that that's that's far more egregious to me than the than blurring and they them and they them is actually really smart because you know walt whitman 's thing about i 'm large, I contain multitudes th- to think of each person as a crowd of different people in their head the, and that we're sort of we're not one static self you know
0: I, I think that one of the um I think one of the terms, it helps. Uh, one of the ways you can do it is if you have trouble with they, them, you can always use the person's name multiple times. I've done that. That's, yeah. um, that's one way to do it or talk directly to the person. I find I use the word y'all a lot.
1: Hell yeah. Y'all, yes. Is it,
0: what's amazing is is that it's gender neutral And what's funny is that it's so weird that such a conservative part of the uh, country spurns such a beautiful gender neutral term. I guess it's kind of like the Midwest and Prince. (laughs) Like, they just I I think they really it's a really great word. And people are like, you from the south? And I'm like, no, it's just a really great fucking word. Uh, I've met a bunch of, I think like the, I've always had trouble with a bunch of the really specific old ones, like Z and per that stuff was like really hard for me. And like,
1: Oh dude, I, I, I love that shit.
0: Oh, that's of, like,
1: we're just, we're just going to make new language. We're going to, we're going to, ma- we're going to build our own language. Like we've built everything else. I never got it down, Yeah, <laughs> but
0: I like, uh, but, like, I think the thing that's even more awesome is that, like, uh the younger generation of it's mostly furries that are doing the, <laughs> are doing the punkest, weirdest shit now. Like the like the furries in Seattle have started doing graffiti and it's really hilarious because all these homogenized areas are suddenly queer again because furries have been leaving up all this like queer furry graffiti but the way that they they know that uh transphobes online will intentionally use the wrong uh pronouns to try to troll trans people but the furries have started going by all of the fucking pronouns so they're going (laughs) by it and it's and i think that's so that's so fucking punk as fuck they won't they refuse to get upset or let it become a conversation that they're going to be even bothered with and i think that that's like
1: they won't be baited
0: i i I think that it's just in the same way that i'm like hard nose about i'm hard line about she her when people say they them about me i'm like you haven't listened to me also i'm not young and cool enough to go by they them uh, <laughs> i'm 40 it's she her uh but like i i th- i think that the like youngest kids are the ones doing like the weirdest like punk as fuck shit and like i'm always conf- i'm like again an older person observing this and it's just really interesting to see you know
1: yeah i i have uh I'll have, like, hardcore fans of my music, you know, send me messages saying, like, oh, man, you know, I love this song. Like, you know, kids just can't write songs like that. And I'm like, bro, I was 22 when I wrote that. Like, go and listen to a bunch of bands of 22-year-olds. That's when I wrote all my best shit is when I was, like, you know, late teens until 30. I I peaked early. It's, It's been a downhill slide since.
0: I think like there have been a really awesome thing. Uh, There's a really awesome thing that happens with, I think a lot of uh, big punk, I think like certain punk bands, like really coming out on the road and uh, bringing younger bands with them. And that's like, like green day bringing out dog party, which is just a two piece of these two girls. It's it's a girl group, just a two piece, just a guitar and a, a drums. And it's like, so stripped down and so rad and so like they appreciated that energy and so like just i don't it, young kids are all doing like really great shit and it's just us that's playing catch up
1: <laughs> uh, andy we could talk forever but we got to save some of this for uh for when you're here um where can people find you what uh what do you have to plug what cool shit do you have coming up this year
0: um i am uh, I can be found at A and at Andy Iwancio on most social media, A-N-D-Y-I-W-A-N-C-I-O. Um I'm all over the place. I'm uh in Portland next weekend. I think this will be out out after I've already left Portland. Uh, then phoenix in your yard in yep. uh, <laughs> your side yard sorry please yeah, yes uh, i don't the yard i assume is where the main acts come but i'm you know in the small yeah, room the side you're, yard you're
1: playing the second stage in my backyard yeah, the <laughs>
0: side yard i imagine in the daytime some other band will be closing uh, next to
1: the bouncy castle and the right, food court
0: <laughs> uh i there what let's see cincinnati uh, altercation festival uh reno nevada just all over the place <laughs> awesome. um i'm just trying to think if there's anything else to plug no no i'm you know follow me on the things and altercation i think is the is probably like the thing i'm mostly excited for and i'll have a i believe a documentary short about me taping my ep for radland records and awesome. Radland, Radland Records is a really great record label run by Kyle Clark out of uh, L.A. And there's a bunch of really great releases on there, like Tom Goss and a whole shit ton of great people. But uh, go oh, check killer. that out.
1: Killer. Andy, thank you so much for doing this. I can't wait to uh, can't wait to have you here performing in the side yard, and I'll see you at Altercation too.
0: I can't wait to touch your pets. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Have a good one.
0: All right.
1: See ya. Folks, thank you so much for listening. I know there's, uh, there's a million podcasts out there. We appreciate you, uh, you spending your time with us. The, um, if you're digging the show, if you're enjoying it, if, you, if these conversations uh, move you, make you laugh, annoy you, piss you off, um, please take a minute to, uh, to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, it helps us grow the show and it helps other people find it. Um, if you'd like to hear bonus episodes, song demos, just sort of uh, ranting off-the-cuff uh, conversations, all sorts of different uh, bonus material, writing advice, uh, personal blog posts and stuff like that, uh, go to patreon.com slash Mishka Shabali. Uh, we will be having monthly episodes up there with my mom and I answering questions from readers and there's all kinds of good stuff there uh thank you so much for supporting